Let us pray. Lord Jesus, be glorified. We thank you for this day. We lift up those in our church family here who are away and traveling. That We pray that you would be with them, that you would keep them safe. And we pray, Lord, here that you would gather in our presence, that your spirit would fill this place. I pray for your help in preaching today. And may your words um, be planted in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we are going to be continuing the series that Bryce started two months ago walking through our church covenant. Our hope in doing so is that you would be encouraged and challenged by these biblical truths and that our community of Jesus followers would be united under them. Our covenant is not scripture and should not be placed above scripture, but is a summary of biblical truths that members of Tiburon Baptist Church have committed to between themselves. So please go ahead and pull out the closest hymnal, they're green and in front of you. And you will find our church's covenant on the inside of the cover. Please follow along as I read lines 1, 3, and 6. I'll give you a chance there. All right. Line 1. Having as we trust been brought by divine grace to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Three. We do now in the presence of God and angels in this assembly solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another that we will, six, assemble faithfully for worship and pray earnestly for others as well as for ourselves. And it is this line that we'll be looking at today. Assemble faithfully for worship and pray earnestly for others as well as for ourselves. Assemble faithfully for worship. The first scripture we'll be looking at today is 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. Feel free, if you'd like, to turn there. We're going to be looking at a bunch of scriptures today, and you're welcome to take notes if you'd like. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10. It reads, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. According to this passage, why did God call you out of darkness? So that you may declare his praise. You and I were made for worship. You and I were made for a lifestyle of worship. This idea is taught in Colossians 3, verses 16 through 17. It reads, Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. A lifestyle of worship. So there is worship we are supposed to do when we are together and apart. Together, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And apart, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Together and apart. Growing up, I had a lifestyle of baseball. Some of my fondest childhood memories were when my mom and I would take my brother and I to the Giants baseball games. We would sit in the right field off the first baseline at Candlestick Park because my mother said it was a good place to catch foul balls. We would join together with thousands of other fans and cheer and declare just how good our team was. Together. Then we would go home. I had, I had a hat autographed by my favorite player, Will Clark, first baseman, number 22. I had a poster of him on my wall. I had baseball cards I would reorganize and put into binders. We would watch the game on TV and catch the highlights on the news that night. Apart. Together at the game and apart at home, I had a lifestyle of baseball. Similarly, together and apart, we are called to have a lifestyle of worship. Mike Cosper, in his book Rhythms of Grace, writes that there are two contexts for worship. Worship sent and worship gathered. He writes that the gathering of the church is one of the keys for holding fast against the pressures of a broken world and the temptations of sin. As worshipers gathered together, we sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. We declare who our God is, and we ascribe him value and worth. We worship him because he is worth it. He is worthy of our worship. So we worship with God as our audience. But we also worship with the church as our audience. Ephesians 5.19 reads, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart, to the Lord. To whom is Paul here telling that our worship to, should be directed? To the Lord and to one another. According to Cosper, we are forgetful and prone to wander. But as a church, we gather to remember, to encourage, and to spur one another on. We declare the truth of the gospel to one another. Your bold confession of faith might be exactly what somebody else needs to hear in their dark hours. Or you may be the one who needs to receive the comfort that comes from the praises of God's people. 
Part of what's great about seeing sports live is getting caught up in the energy and excitement. We, en- we are encouraged to scream and shout for our team in such a way that is harder to do at home by yourself. Unless you're my mom. <laughs> I used to work concessions at Stanford football games. And if I can tell you two things about that, college football fans are crazy. And Oregon Ducks fans tip the best. (laughs) Especially when they're beating Stanford. So as a church, we gather because we have work to do to remember the gospel and to hold fast to our confession. We gather to remember to encourage, and to spur on one another in our Christian walk. Together and apart, you and I were made for worship. You and I were made for a lifestyle of worship. So what does this lifestyle of worship look like when we are apart? When we leave this building on Sunday and depart into the rest of our week, Here are two verses that help us to answer this. Colossians 3.17 and 1 Corinthians 10.31. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Okay, so we are to act in the name of the Lord Jesus. Basically, we are to act as his representative, that is, in his authority and with an attitude of thankfulness. It's kind of like sending your child or spouse to the store to pick up a few items. They are doing it as your representative in your authority and hopefully with a thankful attitude. Our second verse, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore... Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it for God's glory. Doing something for God's glory means doing it in a way that makes God look good. As a teenager, I would regularly stand in front of the mirror, brushing my teeth, and I would ask myself, if I'm supposed to do everything for God's glory, how can I brush my teeth for God's glory? I mean everything, right? That's what the verse says. But I can brush my teeth for God's glory. If I am Christ-like in my character and I have an attitude of thankfulness while I do it. A lifestyle of worship is doing everything as Jesus' representative with an attitude of thankfulness in a manner that is Christ-like and points others to God. I'll say it again. A lifestyle of worship is doing everything as Jesus' representative with an attitude of thankfulness in a manner that is Christ-like and points others to God. So we do not go to church to worship, but as continuing worshipers, we gather ourselves on Sunday to continue our worship but now in the company of other Jesus followers. Let me read you the sixth line of our church covenant. Assemble faithfully for worship 
and pray earnestly for others as well as for yourselves. Let me read that second part again. Pray earnestly for others as well as for yourselves. It's subtle, but what is the last word there? Ourselves. Not yourself. Ourselves. In this line, we are challenged to be people of prayer and people who regularly gather to pray. There is a lot that can be said about prayer, but I want, you, I want to draw your attention to that last point. We are people, we are to be people who regularly gather together to pray. An old friend of mine, a missionary to India, now deceased, Wesley Duell writes, The more you pray together, the more you sense each other's heartbeat, burdens, joy in the Lord, and Christian experience. In the same vein, evangelist Charles Finney writes, Nothing tends more to cement the heart of Christians than praying together. Never do they love one another so well as when they witness the outpouring of each other's hearts in prayer. The bottom line, and that what I want you to take away from this line of our church covenant, is that we are to assemble faithfully. Hebrews 10, 24-25 reads, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Not giving up meeting together. I need you in my life. And you need other Jesus followers in your life to encourage you, to spur you towards love and good deeds, to declare the truth of the gospel to you in worship, to give you strength and comfort in your darkest hours, to pray for you when you are in need, and others to unite your prayers with to shake the foundations of this world. According to Jim Wilson, former associate director of the Doctor of Ministry at Golden Gate Seminary, you cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian. Think about it. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> we need to move from being a friendly church to a church of friends. A church where you and I can form significant relationships Relationships of mutual accountability and support. Relationships where we can be authentic and stop pretending that everything is fine when it isn't. It is so, key, so easy to keep people at arm's length, but the Jesus I knew, no, was knee-deep in the brokenness of people's lives. And that mire is where he calls us to bring his love, comfort, compassion, and strength 
We can be like Jesus to each other. In our time together, what has Jesus been asking you to do? Has he asked you to assemble faithfully for worship? Has he asked you to have a lifestyle of worship each and every day that reflects him? Has he asked you to cut something out of your schedule to make more time for things of God? Has he asked you to pray more? Has he asked you to form a significant relationship with another Christian? Our covenant reads, We commit to assemble faithfully for worship and pray earnestly for others as well as for ourselves. It encourages us to live a lifestyle of worship, doing everything as Jesus' representative with an attitude of thankfulness in a manner that is Christ-like, that points others to God. It encourages us to be people of prayer who gather regularly and form significant relationships of love and encouragement. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and love. We thank you for all that you do for us, and we thank you for the the new life that we can have in your name. And I pray that you would bind us together, that we would be united and like-minded as we strive towards you to become more like you and live as your representatives here in this place. May your light and love shine through us each and every day. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.